Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. It's not about me I'm only here for a minute And I know that I can't fix it I can help even just a little bit Won't you let me try Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest Laz and Powers. I am Mark Lazarus of The Athletic, joined by Scott Powers of The Athletic. This is our third attempt at starting this podcast because news keeps breaking. Uh, the Blackhawks Wednesday game against Winnipeg was just postponed, and that Olympic break is starting to get pretty busy. Scott, how you doing? Fourth attempt, if you date back to when you first got COVID and we had to postpone. <laughs> That's true. We did We did about six minutes of this podcast last week. I was sounding like this, and I didn't realize that I couldn't talk. And uh, we very quickly realized that I couldn't talk. I had one day of symptoms, one day. Uh, Omicron plus vaccine. Vaccines work, people, because I have been isolating like a responsible person in this bedroom away from my kids over Christmas break and all that, doing the right things. And I have had no symptoms, basically, since that first day. Uh, It was a very mild thing. Vaccines work. Boosters work. Uh, It's just uh, it's it's more of a hassle than a deathly disease when you're vaccinated. So I highly advise it. Uh, but how are you doing, Scott? I'm good. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, it's funny. You, well, not funny, but you got it, and then a few other, few other close friends got it, and other sports writers got it, and yeah, just I, uh, I, I think we're all getting this one by the end of it, Scott. I have to tell you, <laughs> we shall see. Who knows? I, I may, fuck, I may have already had it. Who knows, right? Well, like, there's I that just, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I, I, I spent so much of November traveling, and I was on airplanes, and honestly, though, I think I might have gotten it, Spider Man. That was a little too crowded a movie theater for me. And there was a guy right in front of me who was coughing a little too often. Oh, and uh, I didn't take my mask off the whole time. I didn't need anything that whole time because that guy was coughing. But I think it might have been that guy right there. I think Spider-Man. Yeah, and I was there. There were a lot of people at Fifth Third today for practice and, and a number of them not wearing masks or not wearing masks correctly. And just, yeah, <laughs> there, were, there were a lot of people that weren't media sitting in media seats in the one rink. And yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm well, hoping hey, I, right now it's just it, it's a hope that you don't get it. I think all you can do is you can mask up and get the vaccination and just pray. So. Well, here's our, here's our promise to you, our listeners that this is not going to be a COVID episode of Laz and Powers. No, here. we're going to touch Mark Andre Fleury's in protocol. You need to know that Tuesday's game is postponed. Columbus has nobody Tuesday Wednesday, and Wednesday. Game. Wednesday yeah, in, in Winnipeg just been postponed, but uh, this is our end of year show. This is our year in review show. And we're going to, obviously COVID has kind of touched a little bit of everything this season. But uh, we're, we're going to count down the biggest stories of the year and reflect on them. And holy shit, what a year this has been in so many ways. We, I, I, I sat down to come up with a list. I'm like, oh, I'll come up with four or five things to talk about. I came up with 10 very quickly. And then you added a couple more on top of that. I'm like, oh, yeah, we've got about that. And oh, yeah, we forgot about that. And uh, 
it's 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 been a year, Scott. Yeah. So I, I guess I will start with the countdown. We're gonna go from from what 12, 13, 12. We got twelve. Yeah. Well, I thought the thirteen was that Max Shalunov did not sign with the Blackhawks this season, which <laughs> was part of the uh, twenty twenty. Number thirteen on the list, number one in your heart. Uh, number twelve, uh, and, and a couple few of these are just were add-ons and certainly can be placed anywhere. But um, number twelve was the uh, the sellout streak ends, mm-hmm. um, which which we all knew was coming, but it, it would it been going on for so long and such a significant. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the Blackhawks fans had, have had this renewed. Uh, love of hockey since the uh, since the cups and, and and the waiting list had gone on you know for so long that people even as as the Blackhawks got more expensive and even worse on the ice people were uh, you know people dropped off the list and they you know there's enough people that have been waiting for so long they jump on the list and um, yeah so even while the team struggled in recent years they've still continued the solid streak and it finally came to an end this year after. Um, I don't even know what the what was the official number of games five no five hundred and fifty something yeah I never yeah. really kept track of that either it, it's you know and you have to you have to factor in COVID I mean I think that For does sure. play a role in this um but it, it's still you know look the, the Blackhawks aren't good this year or haven't you know especially after that start and there's a pandemic going on and they're still getting like eighteen thousand people at a game the United Center is the biggest rink in the league it's just massive and that they're still drawing those numbers is still pretty impressive and it says a lot about the fan base but yeah i mean you know we've, we we saw a few of them i think the penguins had a streak like that that just ended uh there's been a couple of them this year the attendance is a little bit down throughout the league and i do think that covid has a lot to do with that yeah and and, and I, yeah i i think the on ice stuff like yeah i i think we saw the numbers dip like after that slow start on the road like that was there was there were there were people that were excited about the season and by the time they actually got to playing home games against people lost that excitement <laughs> so i, I yeah I, I think there were so many different factors that led into it but certainly that was it was significant i think something that uh, we we're all kind of watching with one eye just kind of like when is this going to end because it feels like it's going to be soon uh number 11 we had uh andrew shaw uh, I guess he's not officially retiring, but oh, he's retired. From, officially uh, <laughs> is stepping away from the game due to uh, yeah, there's multiple concussions and his head injuries and another thing that felt inevitable, you know, when he returned and knowing his history. But um, you know, uh, him coming back, there was such an excitement for him, and I, I think that you know he's beloved by Blackhawks fans more than than anywhere else. And just uh, and you saw in a while until you know until he had another injury just how happy he was to be here and it, it was the old andrew shaw and he was excited and um yeah it was just uh, a chance to do that one last time for him yeah i'm i'm really glad i, I mean i'm disappointed for him that his career ended you know i don't think he was even 30 years old yet that it ended too short but i was really happy that he did get a chance to come back but more than anything i was really happy that he had reached a place in his life where he was okay with his career ending when he came back and we talked to him just before the start of the uh, the 2020-21, the, the, the shortened, the 56-game season. It's hard to keep track of all the years these because they all kind of overlap now. But last season, uh, he was in such a good place mentally. He sounded like a he sounded like a grown-up, which is a weird and insulting thing to say, I realize. But he was a man, you know, he spent a year away from the game, not sure if he'd ever return. And he just basically, like, you know, it, it invested that time with his family. He's got little kids at home. And he was just in such a good place. He basically said, look, I know now that when hockey ends, I'll be okay because I've already experienced it. And, you know, so few guys get that opportunity. And there's the, the fear of retirement is, is really significant with these players where they just go from, you know, their lives have been regimented since they're 14 years old, basically to then just nothingness and they have no career and no job and no plan of what to do going forward. It's scary. But Andrew Shaw had reached this point in his career where he was 
comfortable with the end. He knew the end was coming, that the next big hit he took was probably going to knock him out for good. And he was willing to come back and, and make one more run at it. And, you know, you know, more power to him for that. I'm glad he got to experience that. I'm glad he's healthy. I'm glad that the the last blow wasn't debilitating. And I'm glad that he's in a good spot mentally and, and with his family that he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he had a soft landing, let's put it that way, which isn't always the case with professional athletes. We actually, I don't know, we actually have an Andrew Shaw story that we started that we never finished. So maybe when the uh, the legacy oh, yeah. comes around, that we can uh, we forgot can about that one. That. Yeah, <laughs> uh, something to uh, remember as that comes around. Uh, number ten was Patrick Kane's one thousandth game, and uh, yeah, I, I I sort of lost track of all the milestones with it. I can remember it was a thousand points or a thousand game, and uh, you wrote a a fun piece around that about uh, talking to you know people who had coached and played with him when he was. Uh, when he was a kid coming up, and it was kind of a unique way to frame that 1,000th game, and um, it, it seemed like it was a, it was a fun place to uh, report. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for one thing, you and I have lamented so much since the, uh, the the pandemic began that you know we don't get to really talk to these guys casually, and it's really hard to write fun stories. So it was it was nice to be able to do that, and that's the way you have to do it these days, right? You have to talk to people that aren't in hockey because everyone in hockey is under lock and key right now, and it's really hard to get any time with them. So it was fun to talk to people who a don't talk to the press that often, so aren't jaded about it and have fun stories to tell. But B, just to be able to talk to people and really have like long, lengthy conversations about something. And it was, you know, God, what haven't we written about Patrick Kane by now? It, it's so uh, that was that was a way to attack it where it was let's let's find another side of him that hasn't really been written and what he's like when he was a kid. And it's interesting to hear about, you know, how he was super shy, but like scary competitive and how, you know, kids that were older than him somehow looked up to him because he could do things. They would stare at him during warmups of just watching him stick handle, you know, with their mouths agape uh, at just what a special talent he was. And everybody who saw him knew that it didn't matter how small he was, that he had the talent to to do something special in a thousand games, man. That's no small feat. I know that it seems like we've had a lot of them lately because the Blackhawks had so many legacy players. But that's a uh, in, in this in this sport to be able to play at a thousand games is is something. And uh, you know another one was number nine, another thousand game player with the Hawks, another legacy player for the Hawks. Brent Seabrook got traded. Brent Seabrook's a member of the Tampa Bay Lightning. We don't talk about that enough. Yeah, that's uh, who else? I, I forgot who was talking. It was Miran Gabrick, I think. I, I talked to him and and he joked around about how. Um, how many Stanley Cups he had and included Tampa in there and that because he had won a <laughs> cup while he was an LTIR with uh, with Tampa. But um, yeah, the Seabrook one was another one where it was like we knew that he was done playing, but um, whether the Blackhawks could trade the contract or not, it was uh, it was obviously a large, large cap hit and it, and it felt like it was going to weigh them down for a while. And, um, you know, right now it's, it's not helping a whole lot because they acquired Tyler Johnson, who's also out and, you know, they're going to have to carry his cap hit unless they buy him out. But um, yeah, the trade Seabrook and, you know, for him not to officially retire, maybe, you know, maybe he ends his career. He signs a one day contract with the Blackhawks or something. So, I mean, Seabrook also had to agree to that and, and, and say that, you know, the wave is no movement clause and, and to be traded. So um, yeah, it was more of like uh, one, the, you know, the fact that they were able to do it, you know, to get rid of the contract and two, it just, yeah, it's moving on another piece of the core and, and how few um, of, of those were remain remaining after, after this summer. It's amazing how numb we're getting to that. You know, it used to be such a, 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 a ridiculous thought that one of these guys could be moved. And then yeah, I guess Jalmerson was the, or Patrick Sharp was the first one, actually Sharp when he got yeah. to Dallas the first time. And then you had Jalmerson and now it's just like, there's only two guys left. Out of the the core seven plus Crawford, you always kind of lump Crawford and maybe Brandon Sod in there. Sod's been traded, you know, sixty four times, but it, it's 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 Kruger hard. To, came back and <laughs> yeah, Marcus Kruger. Yeah, it's hard to think of the fact that 
you know, Brent Seabrook is not a Chicago Blackhawk right now. You just kind of assume that, A, they'd never be able to move that contract, and B, it's Brent freaking Seabrook. I mean, if, if anyone's a lifelong Blackhawk, it's Brent Seabrook. He, he just kind of, you know, radiates that. I mean, he was always the guy, the beating heart of this team, and he was such a – and it's a shame the narrative of his career – toward the end became just about the contract as his play declined. It was only about the contract. I, I, and yeah. I'd always bothered me. I wrote about it probably more than people wanted to read about it, but uh, he was not a very good hockey player yet uh, anymore by the time he was done, but he was so important to that team and he was so integral to those Stanley cup years. I mean, people forget how good he was. Like everyone talks about, well, it's Taves, Kane and Keith and Hosa. Those are your hall of famers, but Holy Brent Seabrook was he was a juggernaut, man. He was a really good hockey player. He had the big shot on the power play. He was better defensively than he ever got credit for. In his prime, he was a minutes eating beast. He was kind of like what Seth Jones is now to a large degree. Maybe not quite as, you know, he didn't have the 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 the, the, the natural talent and gifts that Seth Jones had, but he played a similar game where he just ate up minutes, played every facet of the game, and was good. And it's a shame that he's now associated with those declining years. And I hope that down the road, people will forget that as, as, as so often, like, you know, Blackhawk legend Bobby Orr and Mets legend Willie Mays. Like, you just kind of hope that people forget about those last couple of years and just, you know, in 10 years that Brent Seabrook will be remembered for for being such a huge part of those teams and really for being the personality of those teams. He was, he was, you know, I, I just, he's the beating heart of those teams. He was, it was Jonathan Taves as the captain, but Seabrook was the captain. There, there were so many reasons why those teams failed, and it was it had it had. I mean, Brent Seabrook wasn't you know like the the Blackhawks could have been better with even if with Brent Seabrook's contract. And you bringing up how much you wrote Seabrook, I was thinking that someday you can write a thesis on Seabrook and Dylan Strom, like that would be your <laughs> the things that you, you you've mastered I, over. Recent I, I years. do I do get my uh, my pet projects sometimes. Yeah, looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, number eight, the Mark Andre Fleury trade, which, uh, which, which, yeah, was totally unexpected this summer. It was, it was sort well, of. Well, it's funny because you re- you reported like three months earlier that that they were thinking about it, but I don't think anybody really thought it was going to happen because it just it seemed so bizarre on so many levels. Yeah, it, it was a little bit like the Robin Leonard thing, where it just it came out yeah. of the blue, you know, like the fact the Blackhawks were able to make this large acquisition you know like with leonard it was like well well he how's he available and and the blackhawks certainly had you know like well that would didn't cost as much but the fact the blackhawks had the cap space and um i mean he was available flurry was there for anyone like the vesna winner was available as long as you take on his cap cap hits with just one year i mean it's such a low risk thing too yeah um and i guess the i guess the 
part of the risk was whether Flurry would report, you know, and I, yeah, like that was uh, something that was obviously something we talked about there for about a week there until Flurry just kind of got over. We it. sold a lot of subscriptions talking about that, Scott. It's one of those, those Pittsburgh writers, too. Yeah, they, I know, right? Know. Man, they love stirring it up. I love it. But, um, you know, it, it's funny because it made sense at the time, too, because, you know, it, it's. If you put our put yourselves back and listen to our our shows from over the summer, there were expectations for this team. Like I've I don't never think gone I, back and listened to one of our shows. Though. I don't even <laughs> listen to them like when they're brand new. I don't want to hear me talk. I talk that. Plus, I listen to podcasts at one point five speed. And if you put me at one point five speed, I think you actually travel in time. I just I, I can't listen to my voice. So I, I listen to the podcast, but I, I I take my voice out and just listen to you talk. So. It's it's one of those things where, where where people thought the Blackhawks would be competitive this year, like legitimate, like maybe not cup contenders. But playoff contenders, and then all of a sudden, you, well, you can upgrade the goaltending from Kevin yeah. Lankin and Malcolm Subban to Marc-Andre Fleury and Kevin Lankin. And it's like, well, wow, maybe now they've really got a chance. And I think we've, you know, this, the Leonard one was kind of random because those Blackhawks weren't going anywhere. But this year, it made sense. Like, for one year, low risk. They had the money. Why the hell not? Um, and and frankly, Fleury, you know, after, and he was awful the first month of the yeah. season. He's been spectacular since. It's a real major hit that he's going into COVID protocol right now. We're going to see just how... Uh, important he was in his absence, although they keep well, postponing we'll see, the games. We'll see how it might many not games matter. They actually play. Yeah. yeah, they actually may not. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's it's it all made sense, and and and, and you know, obviously, Flurry's had a terrific impact on the team. You saw the 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 way that everyone came together for his 500th win. That doesn't happen. You know, we talked about this. That does not happen for your average guy coming in who's only been here for two months. But Mark Andre Flurry has this instant impact on those around him, where uh, you know. He's just really brought a lot of light and happiness into that room in a year that really could have just been swallowed up by the misery. Yeah, it'll be interesting because I, I think it's funny. Like it's the goaltending has been such a storyline for this this team's you know since Crawford and Leonard and then um, you know last year not having any goalies and, and Lincoln emerges to Flurry to next year no one's basically signed. So it, it, it'll be interesting to kind of see where that that unfolds. Um, number seven was uh, not, not that Alex DeBrinkett had an emerge. I mean, he, we we knew that he was pretty good, but he, he he sort of took that next step, and 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 you can put him in that in that star um, emerging superstar category where he's uh, one he's, he's he's scoring goals more consistently, proving that um, you know that he's 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 on that 40, 50 goal pace, but he's also become more of a two way player and playing the penalty kill and just yeah being more of a reliable player and. Um, when you look at that next generation of, of Blackhawks and um, he's the one that's definitive, you know, like we can talk as much about Kirby Doc and all these other guys, but the Brinkett's the one that's already arrived. And, um, you know, regardless of how long Kane and Taves are here for for the remainder of their careers, I think the Brinkett's the one we'll see here for the next decade, potentially. Yeah. And that that was the most important thing that came out of last season, right? That kind of meaningless 56 game fake season they had was. That's when Debrinket took that leap. Like he came into the season, like, well, is, is he going to bounce back goal wise? And he certainly did. But you know, by the end of the year, when he started killing penalties, that's I think that's when it really dawned on people, like, wait, hold, this guy's like a full player now. He's a complete player now, um, and it's it's amazing, you know, because he's you know, it's hard to get over the size factor. He is so little. And it doesn't make sense that he could be this much of a force that, you know, he's in the scraps, he's working in the corners, he's picking fights with guys twice his size. This is a guy that when he goes into the locker room, he has to crawl up onto this locker stall on his knees to be able to reach the top shelf to put his shin pads on top because that's where you're supposed to put him is on the top. And he can't reach them standing up even on ice skates. Like this is not a a, a large human being right? we're talking about. I that is, that. I, I, I've been noticing it for you know, back when we were in the locker room. I noticed it every day. It just cracked me up. This poor guy, even on ice skates, couldn't reach the top shelf, and he had to climb up on the thing every time. He's like the anti-Victor Svedberg. 
And yet he's one of the best players in the league, not just on the Blackhawks. He's one of the best players in the league. He would have been a shoe in for Team USA at the Olympics, probably would have been a top six role, maybe playing alongside Patrick Kane. Uh, it, it's really incredible how far he's come because the goals are coming. He, he wound up at about a 50 goal pace last year, and he's still scoring at, at, at a tremendous rate on a team that can't score this year, uh, except he's this all around player now. And, and that's what they really need. I mean, you, you know, there's, there's, you look back on those Blackhawks teams that were so good and yeah, you had your Patrick Kane who could score goals, but you had two way guys like Hosa and Saad and Patrick Sharp, who was a terrific two-way player who never got credit for it because people thought of him as just a sniper, like a Dominic Kubalik or something. Uh, the, you need guys like that that can do everything. You look at like the, the great Boston teams, guys like you know uh, Bergeron and Marchand. They play in all zones. You need to be able to do that, and Debrinket has done that now. He's been in the league, what, this is his fifth, sixth season already? He is a legitimate, bona fide superstar in this league who can do everything, and he's only getting better. Uh, he is the piece you build around. I mean, the next time the Blackhawks are really, really good, you know, if Taves and Kane are here, they're going to be secondary players probably. It's going to be Alex Dabrinkit's team. He's going to be the number one star on this team for the next decade. Uh, number six is the Duncan Keith trade. And Duncan another- Keith was traded. Duncan Keith was traded. It's the sixth biggest thing that's happened this year. Duncan yeah. Keith, maybe the best player in Blackhawks history. Maybe the single best Blackhawk ever. I say that not lightly. It's possible. You could you could think of it that way. He got traded this year. And it was like, okay, yeah. Yeah. No, it was an amazing it was a, story. Yeah, it's one one it, it's odd because I also feel like Zebra Keith's recent years have taken away from what Keith was as a player, where he as much as he played, like he was a detriment to the Blackhawks more than he helped the Blackhawks, you know? Like yeah. he, you you played him all this ice time and it, the the results and the analytics weren't good, you know? Like he he wasn't the same player, and and it, it it's unfortunate too because it was it wasn't really fair to Duncan Keith. Like Duncan Keith's not going to say no to 26, 27 minutes, but like he shouldn't have been playing that. You know, one almost approaching forty. They just didn't have it, anybody else who could do it. Yeah, like it, it's 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 unfortunate because they put him in a tough spot, and it was, um, yeah. And so it was another piece where like yeah, the Blackhawks could trade Duncan Keith. You know, if they could, it just the question was whether he'd waive the clause or whether someone would take him on and. Um, for the Blackhawks to trade Duncan Keith's contract and for not, some, you not know, retain not any of it, any, yeah, retain any of it was was a surprise. So, um, like that's legitimately like it, it's it's weird to think that you know getting rid of you know your Hall of Fame defenseman, number one defenseman, is like you the best thing. That's an easily a top five Stan Bowman move was yeah. trading Duncan Keith without having to eat any of that salary for the next two years and getting Caleb Jones, who's proving to be a perfectly serviceable you know top six player. Uh, you know, a, a number five, six defenseman right now uh, it is an incredible trade to be able to do that. And it's just a, a further indictment of the Edmonton Oilers organization as if they needed another one. But uh, it's still it, but it's, Duncan it, Keats also played better with Edmonton because he hasn't had to carry that role too at times. You according know? to according to Edmonton fans, he's might be the worst player that's ever lived. I think you know, I think he's <laughs> he suffers. You know, when I was out there uh, 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 last month, he suffers from something similar to what Brent Seabrook suffered from in Edmonton, where. The, the the GM, his mistake is being laid at the foot of the player. People are mad that the Oilers didn't get the Blackhawks to retain any salary on Duncan yeah. Keith. So they're mad every time Duncan Keith isn't great. And Duncan yeah. Keith had a really good first month, and then he had a lesser second, then he got hurt. Uh, people, So it's just like people took out Stan Bowman overpaying Brent Seabrook on Brent Seabrook. They're taking it out on Duncan Keith that... That, that the Blackhawks got away with this one, basically. They're mad about that, and they take it out on Duncan Keith. He's been fine. 
he's been fine and he's been missed in, in his absence has been noticeable for the Oilers because they also lost Darnell Nurse. But uh, he, you know, Keith always said, you know, he started saying this a few years ago that he wanted to play till he was 45. And he is like Chris Chelios and that he can. He can't play the way he did in 2015, the way he did in 2010, 2011. But he still is a serviceable defenseman in the NHL in the right role. And yeah. the way he, you know, I know you were working on a biohacking story from him a couple of years ago uh, that you wanted to write. And you know, he, he is all over that stuff. He is, you know, deep into the weeds and the science and the stuff. He, he is the kind of guy who, if he wants to play in this league for another five years, he will. And he'll find takers because not only is he serviceable, but he brings rings in the room. And there's nothing that NHL GMs like more than rings in the room. And this is a sort of a good segue into number five, which is the Seth Jones trade, where Seth Jones may never be evaluated based on his individual performance, but it'll be based on th- this massive trade, which yeah. Um, yeah, which is always going to be hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around because it was basically a gamble the Blackhawks making the playoff this season, which 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 doesn't seem likely now. So the Blackhawks got what they wanted in a number one defenseman, and it's I was actually looking at the numbers last night because I thought Columbus was coming to town and <laughs> and you know kind of revisiting that trade. Um, and and you know like a lot of players at beginning under Carlton was awful for Jones. Like he was he was. Just, yeah, it was it was bad. I think the Blackhawks. I think the number was the Blackhawks were outscored fifteen to five with Jones on the ice in the first twelve games. Like mm, not it great. Was, uh, and the expected goal, yeah, percentage wasn't great either. Um, but but since then he he's been really good. Like he's not he's not perfect, and you know, like again, it's it's not necessarily Jones's fault that he's going to get a nine point five million dollar cap hit, and, and it's hard to live up the, to that. You look around the league. That, that's the going rate for UFA you know, high-end number one defenseman. I mean, people get mad about Adam Fox getting that kind of money or Kale McCarthy. Those are RFAs. That's a different thing. Yeah. So UFAs get overpaid. And this particular summer was the year of defensemen getting big paychecks. That's yeah. the going rate. It's just the way it is. Yeah. So it, it's in a lot of ways, the Blackhawks addressed their, addressed their need. And Seth Jones has lived up to hype in, in, in a number of ways. And, um, you know, we'll see for the next eight years what that is. But, yeah, I think it's always going to be framed within that trade. And, you know, it, it's giving up the the first rounder next year, which is, is a disaster for the Blackhawks if they don't make the playoffs. And and also trading, you know, losing their higher draft pick. And Columbus turns around and drafts Cole Sillinger, who makes the team. And um, the Blackhawks take a defensive defenseman who um, they have a lot of in the system. So, yeah, I, I think there's – And Adam Boquist. And, and Adam Boquist, who's, who's had a really good season, too. Um uh, but so yeah, I I don't know if it's ever going to be fairly evaluated. But Seth Jones, I think, especially since Derek King's taken over, he's been what the Blackhawks probably wanted him to be. Yeah, I mean, it honestly, the way it's going to wind up looking is the contract is fine. It's the trade that's bad. The trade yeah. was a bad. It was a bad trade. The Blackhawks had all the leverage, and Stan Bowman made a it almost reeked of desperation kind of trade, where he just so overpaid for someone who didn't want to go anywhere other than Chicago and maybe Dallas. His yeah. hometown, the the Hawks had all the cards, and they still gave up so much for him. I mean, so Seth Jones was a year away from a UFA status. If he really wanted to, he could have just grinned and bear and, and bared it down that one more year in Columbus, and then gone and gone and got ten million dollars wherever he wanted to be the next year. So, and the Blackhawks could have been in on that. They could have just waited a year. They paid yeah. so much to get him when he didn't want to go anywhere else. That's what it's always going to come down to. So Seth Jones is very, very good. He is a legitimate number one defenseman. He is probably worth $9.5 million a year. That's the going rate. It was just a horrible trade all the same. And, it, it, you know, both those things can be true. Seth Jones is never going to live up to that trade, and that's not his fault. He has to live up to the contract, which I think he's capable of doing. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I, 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 
I was talking to a scout about him yesterday, and 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 the, and the scout's like, yeah, he's a really nice player, but he, I think he described it as it says Jones has warts. Like there's there's yeah. parts of his game that aren't like, like denying like just this defending entries, and there's there's parts of him that yeah, it's like nine point five is a lot, and 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 there are all I think I think the Blackhawks defense too is that there's only it's so rare for a player like this to become available. And that's why they were so aggressive in acquiring him. And, and also, and, 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 and this will lead into number four and, and another, well, one I, I, I should, we should point out Stan Bowman's thing. He, he said this for the entire you know nine years that we were covering him. He always talked about how you can never have enough stars. Stars are hard to get. You have to get the stars and then you worry about everything else. And that was his theory to roster building was, you know, cause he walked in and he had Taves and Kane and Keith and he had to fill in the holes. And to him, Having the stars was step one. And some teams, some players, some GMs don't build teams that way, but that was the way Stan Bowman thought about roster building. Start with the stars, build around them. So he found an opportunity to get a star and he went and got a star. He yeah. never got the chance to build around him. He painted, you know, Kyle Davidson into a corner here, but that's his philosophy. And that's why he did what he did. And uh, number four is Jeremy Colleton getting fired. And, and some of this feels like it, it's all connected in that. The Blackhawks and, and Stan Bowman and, and Stan Bowman and Jeremy Carlton needed a win this year. Like the time was running, like they had, um, yeah. I just, they, you know, for Stan Bowman, the, the, the you know like the clock had been ticking for many years, and he was able to convince John McDonough, and then you know to fire Joel Quinville, and then he convert, convinced Danny Wirtz that you know he was worthy of more responsibility, and this was going to get back on the right track, and. Um, they were they were really aggressive this summer. It was, it was the Jones trade. It was signing McCabe. It was uh, the Flurry trade. Um, it, it was moving out Seabrook's contract and trading Keith. Like it was all set up to where the Blackhawks thought they were. Like uh, they played this this stupid game of saying like, well, we're having one foot in and one foot out, yeah. and we're still you know rebuilding. And and but no one believed it. You know, like you were you, you don't make the Seth Jones trade unless thinking that you're going to make the playoffs because otherwise, like I said, it's a disaster not having that first round pick because there's so little in the pipeline already. So. It was it was them being aggressive because I think they saw the writing on the wall a little bit that um, financially and and you know like they need to start putting like they saw the sellout street probably coming to an end and they saw the fans you know they're, they're angered toward the organization in, in recent years and I I think um, there was such an aggressiveness in in this off season and 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 you wrote about this too when Carlton was fired is that he was never put in a position to succeed and um, and. You also wrote about this too, about how Carlton's system and a lot of what we, you know, like uh, th- there were holes in it, and 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 we're seeing that too. So, um, yeah, it's hard to defend Carlton knowing that, uh, you know, there was some of his own fault, but also that the position he was put in was difficult to succeed as well. Yeah, I mean, firing Jeremy Carlton was absolutely the right decision. I don't care who your coach is when you're one nine and one or whatever it was at that point, yeah. coming off that horrible game in Winnipeg. There was no you. I don't care who it is. You fire Scotty Bowman in that situation. It, it, it was so bad. You had to do something. But Scotty Bowman, who is still with the organization, who is somehow still with the organization. Oh my god, he's like number. He's like the first guy listed in hockey I ops. I think yeah. it's a little crazy. Um, <laughs> senior advisor to I don't know who, <laughs> but um, it, it, it's Colleton. He deserved to be fired. He yep. got a longer leash than probably anyone in his situation as a first-time coach would have gotten because Stan had kind of hitched his wagon to Carlton. That was his guy, and he was gonna, he was his ride or die. But uh, he deserved to be fired, and at the same time, he just was never given a chance. He never had he was He was put in a position to fail every single year. The only time he wasn't was last season when they decided to go full-on rebuild and steer into his strengths, which was 
working with younger players, communication and all that stuff that we always talked about. And you saw it with Philip Kurashev and Kevin Lankin and some of these guys that were, and even Alex Dabrinkit, that were taking big steps forward. And then they just pulled the rug out from right underneath them. Like, okay, here's a veteran team. Now go win right away now. Oh, by the way, you're 1-9-1. Bye, you're gone. I mean, it was it was a disaster. Every year, you know, he's dropped in to replace a legend midstream, but told it, and then and, and on his opening press conference, John McDonough, this is still a playoff team. Good luck with that, Jeremy. I mean, he was just, every step of the way was put in a position to fail. And, and he failed. I mean, his teams played hard. Uh, they they always kind of scrapped back in the second half of the season to kind of at least make it interesting. They played really well beyond anyone's expectations last season, even though they went young. And then, you know, the bottom fell out. And there was just no justification keeping him. And Kyle Davidson yeah. wanted to make yeah. his own mark. And it was just time. Three full yeah. years. He got three full years to the day that he was hired. He was fired the same day he was hired. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's a long time in the NHL. I mean, you look around oh, and like, sure. you know, John Cooper, I think, is the longest tenured coach in the league. And by a long shot. So it was time. Yeah. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, number three is Jonathan Taves sits out the season and then Jonathan Taves returns and Jonathan um, Taves sat out an entire season with a major illness, Jonathan Taves. And it was the third biggest thing that's happened. <laughs> um, you, you sat down with, uh, with Taves, uh, yeah, before the news, you know, really kind of came out and, and you obviously had a lot of one-on-one time with him and, um, what, uh. I don't know. It, it was. It's. It's definitely a different Taves. Like he. He's returned a different person. You know. Well, it's interesting. Like, like I. Like I think. I feel like early in the season he was so much more mellower. That's a terrible sentence I just said, but he was mellower than he was before. Like it seemed like it didn't bother him that he wasn't scoring and that the team was losing. He was just legitimately happy to be back. That's a healthy perspective. But what always separated Jonathan Taves from other players was that just obsession with winning, the need to win. You know, the reason he got called captain serious is because he took the work home with him. Like he, if, if, if they lost, he was in a shit mood until they won again. He would be mad at home. He'd be mad the next day at the skate. He'd be mad the next on the flight to the next game. And he wouldn't be happy again until they won. He needed it. And I think that the year off where he didn't know if he was ever going to play again, if he was ever going to be able to get off the couch again sometimes, I think that changed, gave him much you know, healthier perspective on life and sports in general. And that was great, but maybe not great for the hockey aspect of it selfishly when you look at it that way. But as that goal is streak kind of piled up, you started seeing him get angry again, you know? He was yeah, starting I, to get I, pissed. I, I think, I think anyone, anyone goes 25 games, yeah. like it would have drove anyone crazy, you know? Like it just, it wasn't what, because he was playing decent before, like even in, you know, in the preseason and stuff, like, you you know, like, he's not the same player, obviously, but there was enough there where Jonathan Taves should have had a goal before 25 yes. games, you know? And and you could see it was, like, that simmering anger that we used to see when things weren't going well. It was starting to bubble up to the surface again. And, you know, he kept saying, I don't want to make excuses. I don't want to make excuses. But then he would tell you how his energy level's not there, how his conditioning's not there, how he feels like the instinct is there, but all, all of his hockey sense is there, but his body's not cooperating with him and you wonder you know this little extra week off here this is basically like a bye week where you get a week without having to play it's going to be more than a week actually because of these po- these new postponements you know he might come out like a house of fire you know w- when they do finally start playing again then he's going to have 
well, I mean, that Olympic break is not going to be much of a break now because there's going to be five or six games now they have to schedule during that. But, you know, any any kind of break in the schedule, it's going to be fascinating to see how he responds because this is still an unprecedented thing for him to be coming back. Not just, we, we, we've seen guys come back from a year off. Kirby Doc missed, a, well, he didn't miss, a, Alex Nylander missed a full year. That happens. Taves missed a full year where he couldn't move some days. He was literally just unable to get out of bed, to get off the couch, to you know make a bowl of cereal was exhausting to him. I mean, when you're dealing with long COVID or whatever you want to call it, what he had, whatever health symptoms he had that was triggered by his bout with COVID, you know, we don't know the long-term effects. And the fact that he's played every game and has played pretty well and has played pretty serious minutes, maybe not 22 a night, but like 17, 18 minutes a night, it's kind of incredible. It's kind of amazing what he's been able to do this year and really encouraging that he's been able to do that because it's a good sign for people that are dealing with this stuff that aren't hockey players that there is a light at the end of the tunnel that eventually you might start feeling like yourself again. Yeah, it's it's so hard. Like everyone's body just reacts so differently, you know, like it's it's and I think he's still kind of feeling it out, too. And and, and even now, he you know, he's kind of unsure what the next day brings. And it's, you know, the grind of the season. And um, yeah, I'm sure he's welcoming any sort of break right now. Um, number two is Stan, Stan Bowman's, I guess, departure or resignation. I mean, obviously, obviously number one and number two are going to be linked. Everyone knows what number one is here, but, uh, you know, Stan Bowman, he was untouchable. Like he was under John McDonough. He was the golden haired child who could never be fired. And he very quickly developed that kind of relationship with Danny Wirtz. He was getting contract extensions, no matter how bad they were. He was able to do whatever he wanted. I wonder. I actually was thinking about that today on the way to the rink was if if Bowman's still the GM, like would I don't does he fire Colleton or how does that how's that handled? Because at that point Bowman should have been fired, you know, like Bowman yeah. But like, you, you could have fired Stan Bowman instead of Joel Quenville three, oh, three for years sure. ago. I'm just saying, like, would he have been able to hire another coach? Like would if Danny Wirtz like Danny Wirtz had a lot of faith in Stan Bowman and uh, I, I think Stan Bowman sold himself really well and in um, you know, like he was able to convince John McDonough that it was Joel Quindle's fault and, and given more time. And then he obviously was able to convince Danny Wirtz that he uh, that he, you know, like what happened wasn't necessarily his fault. And I'm sure some of the blame was put on McDonough and and that he wasn't given enough control and he was given all this control. So regardless of what happens with with, with Kyle Beach, which was which is which is why he's gone. I, I almost wonder if. Yeah, I, I'm curious to how that would have played out hockey wise. I don't think he fires her to be yeah, I don't think I, mean, I don't think I, I think I, you and I both had sources telling us that Jeremy Colleton was under absolutely no job pressure. Yeah, with Stan like Bowman that. in charge, and you, you had some. I think Emily Kaplan reported that shortly before uh, the Kyle Beach stuff came out, which obviously changed everything. But there was no inclination in the Blackhawks organization to fire Jeremy Colleton as long as Stan Bowman was making those decisions, and that dates back to the Edmonton bubble. I mean, we both heard stories about how Stan Bowman, uh, guy, is a very good office politician, clearly. Uh, and he, he, you know, he won Danny Wirtz over during the bubble in Edmonton and really convinced him that he was the right guy to lead them out of this, um, even though he was partly at, to blame for leading them into this. And again, yeah. some of that is just the aging curve catches up with you. This stuff is cyclical. You can't stay on top forever, yada, yada, yada. But Stan Bowman and, you know, it, I documented that in a column that came out literally the day before he got fired by coincidence that the, the report came out that day. And, let you know what, he, he left, the, he got fired. Yeah. He did not leave the organization on his own accord. To me, yep. that's he got fired. However you want to phrase it, yep. he he's not with the organization because of someone else's decision. Basically, he was yep. ousted. However you want to say it, yep. um, you you there were so many mistakes he made along the way, so many overpays and negotiations with contracts, so much term he gave out, so many no movement clauses he gave out, so many 
changes in direction. Yeah. Every six months, this team was, we're going to win now. Nope, we're going for the future. Nope, we're going to win now. I mean, the team had no direction for half a decade. I, I think it goes back to the Panarin and Jarmelson trade still. Like, I just, I think that's where everything. That's the Genesis changed. point. Yeah. Um, but and then, and I, and I, I know that we get wrapped up in the hockey stuff, but at the end of the day, like he stood in a room with John McDonough and Al McIsaac and, and all these people. And they knew, um, they knew somewhat what happened to Kyle beach and, and they didn't do anything. And I know the, the fingers being pointed in many different directions. And, you know, like even now, like you hear from sources or people who think they're not responsible or it all feels on McDonough. And, um, but it did, they all, you know, like they all passed the buck and it, it didn't get handled correctly. And, uh, you know, and that statement, that statement that Stan Bowman put out is one of the worst statements I've ever read in my long career of reading terrible PR statements. That one was, where he basically said, I was just a first-year GM. What was I supposed to do? He had yeah. been with the organization for a decade at that point. He was a grown-ass man in that room. Everyone, you know, I have, I have no time for the Kevin Shevel day off stuff either. I know he got, a, no. he, he got you know, oh, that wasn't his job. I don't care. He was a grown man. They were all grown adults in that room, and they all knew what the right thing to do was, and they all chose winning over that. They all deferred to John McDonough. Not one of them had the courage, the guts to stand up to John McDonough. And I have no time for any of that. No, for sure. And, and yeah, it, it's, uh, and then it's unfortunate because the organization, like even what, you know, the, what they said afterward, like the Stan Bowman that I know now wouldn't do that today. And I just, I, I don't think that was fair to Cal Beach or, uh, or to anyone else who was, was later affected, but you know, like, but it just, um, yeah, it, it just, it should yeah, have been you, about you, you can, the victims. I think, and, I think it's the way you put it is that you could be a good person and do bad things. And, you know, Stan Bowman was, was Patrick Kane's landlord and, and it was his GM for his entire career. And yeah, they have a great personal relationship. That's, that's, yeah, that happens. But you have to acknowledge that he did a terrible thing too. And, and, it, and it's and, hard, and, to, it's and, hard to wrap your brain around that sometimes. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and it's ultimately, it's, 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 it's about what happened to Kyle Beach, but also what happened to the John Doe too, you know, like yeah. it's, it's because of that, that no one was notified that other, that he was hired elsewhere and, and that, you know, like it, it happened. Other people were sexually assaulted and, you know, stories that we hear out of Miami, Ohio. And, um, yeah, just, it, it, it all could have, it was all preventable, you know, like if, if Holden had known what happened to Brad Aldridge previously and it had been, you know, like there's, it, anyone had said that this is what happened in Chicago, one like person, he would have never it takes been hired. One person to do the right thing. Yep. So, um, and, and, and that leads us to number one, which is, which is, was Kyle Beach and, and the, the lawsuits and and the report and um yeah and everything else that followed and and now that you know the Blackhawks have silent, settled Kyle Beach and I don't believe uh, last time I looked on the uh, the civil suits case the 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 John Doe two case is still uh, still ongoing and when I had reached out to Susan Logan's recently she had no comments I'm not sure exactly where that's headed but they were supposed to meet and try to settle that too and it doesn't uh, there's no sign yet of that being uh, yeah, just settled yet. So um, it feels like it's still ongoing, and the Blackhawks have yet to really talk about it too. So at some point that, um, but it was such a huge, you know, for um, for the lawsuits to happen, and then the, for the report to happen, the Blackhawks to come out with the report, and um, yeah, it's been yeah, this is something that's going to hang with the organization for for so long. Was certainly such a big part of this year, right? And we've 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 talked about all the horrible things and all the the the, the people that you know, and Rocky Wirt still has to answer for this, I think, because you know. John McDonough's job was to keep Rocky Wirtz informed. And I wonder, you know, Rocky says he didn't know and General Block says he didn't know, but Rocky's got to talk to us too. He's got to answer questions about that. But beyond that, I mean, I, 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 there's no, there's no positives here, obviously, but 
I, I will give Danny Wirtz and Jamie Faulkner credit. They're doing they they've done the right things uh, after not doing the right thing. You know when they, they they commissioned a report and they made the report. Not only did they make the report public, they made the whole report public, every detail of it, not just some kind of top sheet summary. They made Reed Shar available to to you know explain uh, the report to everybody, and they got they they ousted Stan Bowman. That was the right decision to do. They, they ousted Al McIsaac. Uh, ignominious, ignominiously, you just kind of disappear without even being mentioned by name. Um, and you know, they keep saying all the right things. Now they, they've settled the lawsuit with Kyle beach. That's great. That's a big step. I hope Kyle beach gets some sense of closure with this. I know it'll never be a healed wound, but you know, this is uh, obviously an important, uh, step for him. And, uh, you know, they keep talking about that. They want to be, uh, agents of change now for positive change in hockey culture in general, and the way that hockey is run. Um, I want to see it. And I don't know what that means exactly, but, you know, right now they're saying all the right things and, you know, their statement after the settlement was all about that too. And that's great. Those are good words. You're saying all the right things. And they apologized at the initial conference, all the things they're doing, but we got to see tangible change. I don't know what that looks like because I don't know how you fix something as broken as hockey is right now. Uh, It goes far beyond the NHL. Obviously, this is something that permeates into the juniors and, you know, youth hockey and all the things that Katie Strang has been writing about for, for years now. It's, 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 it's disgusting and disheartening. I don't know what change looks like. I do want to see the Blackhawks be at the forefront of it because something positive needs to come out of this beyond the settlement. I want to see some actual positive change. I want to see, I want Blackhawks fans to have reason to believe in this team again, to, to want to root for this team again. Cause I know a lot of people are conflicted about it. The Blackhawks can do something about that by being positive agents for change. Yeah. It was a fucking crazy. Oh my God. You know? man. Like it's, it was, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, that list is, like, like I said, when you threw it to me, I said, like, whoa, that's, that, that all happened. And then we started to figure out what else happened this year. It's, been, it's <laughs> well, been a year. Like, if we went back and, like, let's come up with the top 10 things that happened between 2013 and 2018, I, it wouldn't be as jam-packed as this one year was. Yeah. And that's so little COVID-related, you know? Like yeah, we didn't even talk about the fact that there was a pandemic the whole time, basically. Like, everything was kind yeah. of, it touched on it a little bit, but, I mean, what a, holy crap, what a year. Yeah. 2022 is going to be better, I think. Uh, personally and yeah hopefully uh, i hope so because it's it's starting off pretty bad we're basically right where we started we're all doing zooms again (laughs) yeah um i i'm literally in covid isolation as we speak i mean come on at least she'll be out by 2022 so that'll be (laughs) that's true i get out friday (laughs) (laughs) just in time this is my week off i my hope is in 2022 is that we can have a uh, another subscriber get together at some point maybe yes. an outdoor event in the in the spring or the summer and just uh what if we just paid yeah. for everybody to come to Prague again oh god yeah just to be in that dungeon bar again that was just Place is oh, great. Was so much fun um yeah that's uh that wasn't that long ago god it was, uh, it was two years ago three, yeah two years ago crazy um yeah i uh no it's been uh I don't know how many years we, well, this is what how many years on the beat together? This is our tenth season. Yeah, and then at the athletic, you've been. What, it's weird because we're coming up on our nine year anniversary because we both started the same day, which was uh, January thirteenth, I think it was twenty ten. Oh yeah, the, uh, lock the, cat, the, yeah. The, the four day four day training camp, the greatest training camp ever. You 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 being excited to be there, me be just dreading <laughs> being there and but not, it's not weird knowing because, what the fuck I'm doing because that was nine years ago. But this is our tenth season, which kind of like yeah, you know, and yeah. now, now we're united and yeah, we're still. Yeah, it'll be another year of uh, Laz and Powers. And, and go uh, uh, go subscribe. We got a sale going on right now. It's uh, $2 a month, which is really, really good. $24 for an annual subscription. Uh, you can get it at theathletic.com slash Laz and Powers. Theathletic.com slash Laz and Powers. And that runs through New Year's Eve. 
that's sooner than you think. So get up there and uh, if you're listening to this, not on the athletic, come join the fun and uh, and feel free to always tweet us and stuff. But for the but we also have an email. Was it lasempowers at gmail.com, I believe that's us. Say. Yeah. Um. So hit us up there and uh, yeah, we have a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, a lot of things in store for the next year and the season's ongoing and we have a lot of a lot of hockey we played in a little little less time now. But um, yeah, no. It's been a uh, been a good year. So uh, happy New Year to you, and happy New Year to, uh, to all of our listeners. We appreciate you, and um, yeah, for for Mark Lazarus, I am Scott Powers, and we will uh, we'll talk to you in two thousand twenty-two. Happy New Year, gang. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.